I invite you now to please take God's word and turn with me to our scripture reading this morning, which can be found in John chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, I have to ask an interesting question maybe. What is, what is the most valuable possession that you have? And I, and I don't want you to count your house or your car. Um, you know, but, but if somebody was going to break into your house, what would they take because it, it's the most valuable thing that you own? You know, perhaps it's um, some jewelry, right, or, 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 or maybe some, you know, antique or something. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's probably not electronics anymore. Remember, used to people break in and steal your TV. Well, they're so cheap now that they're not worth stealing. Uh, and nobody has stereos anymore, so nobody wants to steal your, your turntable and your speakers. That used to be the thing, right? Uh, what, would a, what would a thief say is your most valuable possession. If they were going to come into your home and, and look through things, what would they find? What, what would it be? And so now I want to ask the question in, in a, a different way. Right, what is, what has the most worth to you of, of things that you have? Again, no car, no house. But, but let's say that your house was on fire, right? Here's the, the dilemma that maybe you've thought through in your head, right? Your house is on fire. You've only got time to get a thing or two out of there. What are you going for, right? Uh, what, 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 what is it? What do you, you want to find? What do you got to make sure you get out of that house, right? What has the most worth to you? I, I, I'm guessing you're the same way as me that, that I hate this question, right? Because there's so many things uh, that I love or, or that mean something to me. I think um, sometimes I, I attach sentimental things to things that I shouldn't. I'm maybe overly sentimental with things, which is why my wife would say I'm a hoarder at times, and I have a hard time throwing things away. But, uh, you know, I have a memory attached to that thing. We can't get rid of it. Um, anyway, but suppose there was only one thing, right? What, what would it be? And if somebody forced me to ask, you know, answer that question, I... I th- I'm pretty sure it would be this. So I brought it this morning so that you can see it. Um, okay, so th- this is it. Uh, I have to show it to you. So this is a 1975 Martin D28. Um, if you don't know anything about guitars, I'll just tell you that Martin is like the Cadillac of guitars. Now, I have to tell you why I can say that, because I didn't buy it. I could never buy one of these, but um, this, this for me is probably my 
the thing that it maybe it w- would be the one thing I've got to get out of the house. Not, it's worth something financially, but, it, but it's, it wor- it's worth more uh, to me uh, as, as something, something else. You see, this belonged to my grandfather. This was my, my, my grandfather's guitar. You guys met my grandmother last summer, and we, she played. Well, they were in a country western band for like 50 years. Like, not an exaggeration. They played into their 70s. They started in their 20s. Like, they made albums. They, they, they produced music. They, they did music, like concerts everywhere. Okay? And, and at some point in his life, he said, you know, I need a good guitar, one that will last me the rest of my life. Well, this was it. A 1975 Martin D28. Uh, the funny thing about these is if you, if you ask uh, people about them, they call them the steal me guitar because they were made in this awful blue colored case. Um, literally, you can type in steal me guitar case and it's this one. It's this awful blue. It's the 70s blue, right? But, but my grandfather took this everywhere. It, he, he had it every time he played a show. This was his guitar. This was, and so when he passed away, my grandmother gave it to me. Now, I'll never be good enough to, to need that guitar or deserve that guitar, but it means something to me, right? And, and so if I was going to take it to a guitar shop, they'd say, oh, here's what it's worth. And I would never sell it because the worth to me is way more than any number a person could put on that guitar. Um, I, I'm sure you have something similar or similar things uh, to you that you would say, they might be worth something, maybe they're totally worthless in terms of, of a price, but for you, you wouldn't ever sell them, you would ever get rid of them because they mean that much to you. And, you know, maybe it's a, a, your, your grandparents' set of china uh, or, or, you know, gla- their fancy glasses that they used or, um, you know, some kind of heirloom that has been passed down, um, you know, a photo album, right? Maybe some people, that's the first thing they're running for if their house is on fire is a photo album. I don't know. Which, you need to put those on digital, by the way, so that you don't have to worry about that ever again. Um, maybe it's a piece of furniture, a table that, that, that somebody made for you or something. You know, a quilt, uh, you know, that somebody made for you a long time ago. And to the thief coming in, that might look worthless, but to you, they're of ultimate worth. This morning, we are talking about the concept of worth concept of worth. And so I want us to, to pray as we begin our time together, you know, taking inventory of, of, of the thing that is of most worth to us. Let's pray together. Father, would you guide our time? Would you help us understand your word? Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to read as we start our time together from Psalm 95. So if you'll turn Uh, in your Bibles, to Psalm 95. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. It'll be a familiar passage to you probably. Um, There's a lot of phrases in it that, that will sound familiar probably, I think. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So we're in a... a, week number five of a series 
uh, we're calling the, the basics of a spiritual life. So if you were going to be a Christian and, and, and live a life as a Christian, what, what are the things that make that up? What do those look like? What are those basics? And so that's what we've been talking about, uh, you know, s- saying, okay, let's look at Scripture. And, and what are the things that, that God would say, these are basic things to following me? Basics. How do, we, how do we be more like Jesus? How do we grow in holiness? That's the command we have in Scripture, is to always be growing in holiness. And so we've talked about, we started with Scripture, and we said that's our foundation. And we talked about prayer, and we, we talked about fasting, and we talked about service. And, and in all of those things, we, we have said that the goal of those things is to know more of Christ, to know more of Jesus. All of those are a, me, a means to the end of knowing Christ to being more like him. And so I, I said that, that like all things that we care about or all things that we want to grow in, they take work. Just like if you were going to try to get in, in, in shape physically or lose weight or, you know, add, add a skill, it takes work. It takes practice. And that's, that's just part of the basics of the Christian life. It takes practice. And, and, but Scripture teaches us that, that God helps us as we practice, as we attempt these things. God is with us to help them, help us, and, and that there's a, a, a benefit to us as we grow. We, we've also said that he brings kind of this unexpected joy in, in all of those things that, that, that it's hard to define. But, but as we practice those things, we find a joy in, in, in growing closer to him. As you may have looked in your bulletin already, we are talking this morning about worship, about worship. And, and if I had it to do over again, I would have had this sermon be before last week's sermon, which was service. Because I don't want to get the cart before the horse. Um, you see, when I think about what Jesus said in, in Mark twelve thirty, he said that the first and greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. That's the greatest commandment. And, and so, 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 so that means our topic this morning is, is our greatest priority because worship is about all of those things, and we'll, we'll see that. And serving our, lo- our neighbor, loving them as, our, as ourselves, which is the second commandment, that comes after, right? So, so service should come as a result of what we're going to talk about. And so you're going to see that they're connected, um, but don't get confused that we serve instead of worshiping, okay? That's not the idea. As I've thought about it, I've realized worship is one of those words that, that Christians use a lot. And, and in, in fact, you know, we use it all the time. We, we just said earlier that we're in a worship service right now. That can be confusing because you might find yourself even thinking, what, what is worship? Why do we talk about we're worshiping and we're in a worship service? What in the world is worship? So I want to start there this morning. I want to start with, with even answering that first question. What is it? It's interesting as you study the idea of worship, you'll get a ton of different definitions. There, there, there are lots of them. There's, there's one that I think probably is... is my, maybe my favorite that I think summarizes all of them. And, and it comes from, from a, a guy named John Piper. And he says that worship is valuing or treasuring God above all things. Okay? Valuing or treasuring God above all things. Another definition I like is this. Putting the supreme worth of God on display. 
putting the supreme worth of God on display. Notice in those definitions, we have the words value and worth. And if you were paying attention at the beginning of the sermon, you go, oh, I know where he's going with this. Maybe. If you look at the origin of the word worship, uh, it's an old English word. And, and um, it, it, I won't try to, to say how it used to be said, but it, it got taken into Eng- a, a different form of English into, into what they called worth-ship. Worth-ship. And so you can see how this is easily, you know, leading to our definition. Worth-ship. That's what it meant. When you went to God, you gave him his worth-ship. Meaning, you told him what he was worth. You declared his value to you. Worship, worthship, is simply declaring God's worth. That's what we're doing. That's what we're talking about. And so, um, when we think about it that way, we must realize then that worship becomes a response. Worship is a response. How do we declare the worth of something unless we know it, right? We're responding to declare worth. It's, it's a response based on recognizing who he is and what he has done. And, and so that's why we call what we do on a Sunday morning around here a worship service. We respond, and you'll see that in our bulletin, right? We respond a lot. We respond to God's goodness and to his grace and, and, and mercy by coming together and declaring all of that. And so we worship, right? We declare his worth when we come together and pray. And we declare his worship when we sing songs to him about him and, 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 and devote our hearts to him. We, we declare his worthship when we read his word when we hear it spoken, when we hear it preached. We respond in giving and in everything we do, and all of that is declaring his worth. That's what this time is supposed to be about, is coming and declaring to him we recognize his worth, and we ascribe that to him, meaning we don't create it, we just explain what we already know, what's true. When we, when we look at worship in Scripture, we see that kind of happen in, in two main very big categories, and, and we'll, we'll narrow these down as we go. But first, I would say that we worship with our lips or with our mouths, if it's a better way to say that, um, meaning when we use our voices. Um, so if you look at Psalm 95 again, Right, let's just hear it. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Right, over and over again, we hear this idea that we can say things, sing things, yell, shout things about him. That is with our mouths. That is worship. Um, we... we kind of can define that it, it, with a word that we see the, the, all throughout the rest of the Bible as the word praise. And so sometimes those kind of get interchanged, right? We talk about, oh, and we're going to go to praise and worship, right? Well, what is, it, it gets weird. What does that even mean? Well, praise is the saying and singing things about him part of, of worship. Worship is, is a bigger thing. Praise is a part of it. Praise is the kind of vocal piece to telling God what we think about him. The second big category is done with our lives, 
So we would call this love or, or you know, something to that effect. So I want you to listen to Romans 12.1 for a good description of this. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Presenting our bodies, presenting our lives as a sacrifice is a spiritual act of worship. Okay? So you got saying things about him and then doing things because of who, who we think he is. Right? Two, those are the two big categories. Um, we, we can respond to God's character by the way that we live. And that is an act of worship. So we sacrifice ourselves. We go out of our way to do things that we might not normally do. We help people that we wouldn't normally help. We love people we wouldn't normally love. As an act, a sacrifice to say, God, you are worth that. I will do this because you are worth it. Does that make sense? So we, we say things about him, and then we live our lives for him and do things for him as an act of worship as well. So that's kind of the two things. The question is, so how do we do that? How, how, how does that look? And, and uh, our first passage uh, that, that Kevin read just a few minutes ago is the answer. Is, that's the answer. Jesus tells us that people who want to worship God must do that in spirit and in truth. So what is, what is spirit or the spirit? Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit there. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no such thing as worship because we can't worship him without the help of the Holy Spirit. It can't come from you and me. We are not the originators of any kind of worship. We don't have the goodness, we don't have a goodness generator inside of us to create things to worship him with, if that makes sense. Only the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, can do that. Another kind of aspect to that is, is we might call it our affections or our emotions here in terms of the Spirit. It, it, kind of the heart piece of this. So, through the help of the Holy Spirit, our, our hearts are affected to want to worship, okay? Something the Spirit does for us. And so we might say, is your heart moved to worship, or is it, you know, kind of cold? And, you know, and we all come in different Sundays and different times in different places. Sometimes we go, man, I am so ready to worship. My heart is... And sometimes not. Sometimes we come kind of begrudgingly, I, can't, I guess I'm coming this morning. And right, we enter this place that way, too. And we would say that's, that's kind of the heart, the spirit element of that. And, and so my encouragement to you would be on your way to, as you're driving to church, just ask the spirit, would you help stir my heart to worship this morning? Would you stir my heart? And that, that's a prayer I think God likes to answer. So, um, you see, God told us what he thinks about people who, who praise him with their lips but don't mean anything in, in their hearts. It, it tells us in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, it says that if, if you worship with your lips but your hearts are far from him, that worship is in vain. So you can say all the prayers, you can do all the things, you can stand and you're supposed to stand and sit when you're supposed to sit and listen to, you can do all of that, but if your heart isn't for him, it's just going through emotions. And, and God would say, that's not really worship. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But so that's the kind of the spirit affection part that I'm talking about. The other part uh, is truth. And when we talk about truth, we're talking about God's word. 
we are supposed to worship according to his truth. So we don't make up things about him. We say things about him that we hear from Scripture. Um, there are churches who are really good at worshiping in spirit but don't have a whole lot of truth. Maybe you've been to one of those churches before. Or probably more often than not, you've been to churches that are pretty good on truth that you'd say have no spirit. And, and there's a reason why Presbyterians can be called the frozen chosen, okay? So we're talking about us. Right? I mean, we're really good at the truth part, but where are our hearts? The frozen chosen, there's a reason we're called that. There's got to be a combination of those things, spirit and truth. Our hearts need to be a part of our worship just as much as our heads do. One without the other is no good. We, we, we use those together. We use Scripture to lead us into truth. We use the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us that our hearts would want to worship Him. Okay, an- another piece in, in answering the question, how? How do we worship? We're supposed to worship both corporately, meaning like in a church gathering looking something like this, and in private. It's, both of those things are, are all throughout Scripture, right? On your own, you're supposed to be worshiping God too. And so just like there's balance in the spirit and truth thing, there should be balance to this as well. Meaning, don't just be on one side of it. Don't just be a person who's, who only does one and not the other. Right? There, are, there are plenty of people who are regular church attenders, and they worship in the body, and then they walk out the door, and six days they just don't do anything. They don't worship on their own. They say, I come on Sundays, I'll worship, but then that chapter of the book is closed and I walk out. I'm done. They ignore him for the rest of the week. And then there are people who, you know, I'll hear things all the time like, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And what that means is they, like, worship God on their own, but they don't feel like it's worth their time to come together to a corporate body. I, I, don't, I don't come to church. I don't like church people. They bug me, so I just worship God on my own. Um, and, and, and I would say, worship is more complete when we worship together. There needs to be both. I'm, I'm so glad that you are spiritual, that you worship Jesus on your own. Bring that together. Be a part of a body where we can worship together. There's a completeness that happens here that's different. That's just different. Um, so, you are meant to worship every day in all that you do. And so if we remember the definition uh, that we just talked about of, of, of worship, you can worship God on your own. You can declare his worth by what you say and by what you do. In any aspect of your life, you can do that. So, so that's, the, that's the encouragement for us. We, we do that every day. We wake up and we say, Lord, I want to worship you today. Help me to do that. And, and, and we, we live what you would call a life of worship. And then Sunday is just this celebration where we all come together after having lives lived of worship. Then it's just a big, great party. And that's what it's supposed to look like. A place where our hearts are com- combined and we enjoy worshiping together. We're not cold and boring and falling asleep the whole time. We're worshiping together as a celebration. So every day you can pray, Lord, let me live this day for you as an act of worship. Let the things I do, let the things that I say, let them be about you and for you. I'm going to declare your worth through the help of your Holy Spirit because I can't do this on my own. You can pray that every day. All right, make the day about him. All right, so the last question, why do we worship? 
And, and what I mean by that is, what are our goals? What's the goal of worship? Maybe you've wondered that before. Why, why do we worship? And, and I'm just going to give you two here. And I would say it this way. We worship as a means and as an end. So just kind of a reminder of those words. We have ends. We can also call those goals, right? The, the end point. What am, what am I working towards, right? What's the goal? And we use means to get there. So just, just the, an example, we often diet to lose weight. Dieting is the means. It's the way that I want to get to where I want to get, right? The goal is to lose weight. And if I could do that without dieting, I would. But dieting is a, is a need, is a, is a means that I have to have to get to the, to the end, to the goal of losing weight. Um, so, Worship is both a means and an end, and, and let me start backwards and tell you about the end part. So, so first, remember, worship is our response. It's our response. And so through the Holy Spirit, we've been given the incredible privilege of, of telling God his worth, what he means to us. And this is our goal. This is the goal. This is the reason, in fact, that we were created. Uh, this is what we were designed to do, and in fact, what we will do forever. There will never be a time in eternity where we're not worshiping him through what we say and what we do in our lives. So there is no higher goal in life than to declare God's worth. If you remember that chief end of man thing, maybe you were taught as a kid, what is it? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're talking about. That's worship. That's the ultimate goal in our lives, in, in this life and in eternal life, is to glorify God and enjoy him. That's what we'll be doing forever. So that is the end. That is the goal. There is nothing higher there. If you look at Revelation 4 and 5, you kind of get this picture of all creation worshiping God. And in verses uh, 13 and 14 of chapter 5, it says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in, in the sea, that it, all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And on the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. They're doing that, and it's not a, a task. It's not boring. It's not painful for them to do. It's something they're excited to do, and they get joy out of doing. So we will forever be in the business of worshiping God. It is the end. But selfishly, let me just tell you that as the end, it's also our end, meaning it's the greatest pleasure that a human can have. This is the amazing thing that we see in, in Scripture is that, is that worship comes when we are most satisfied in Him. And selfishly, we will always be empty unless we worship. The most happy, or happiest, I guess is a better way to say that, and, and most joyful you will ever be is worshiping in the presence of God. That is the ultimate end. There's nothing better than that. And so, so just kind of this little quick aside, you can come to church for selfish reasons. I, I would have always said that in my life, but you can come saying, I just need to be filled. I'm dead inside. I need to come to church to be filled. You can say that because when you're saying that, you're recognizing God is the one who can bring that to me. You are declaring his worth by saying, I need him. Does that make sense? I want to be satisfied, and I know that satisfaction comes from him. So you can come selfish to church, right? And I think God will, will change in your heart. But he'll accept that as worship because what it means is you want him more than other things, realizing nothing else will satisfy. That's worship. 
As, as, as long as it is in God that you long to be satisfied, it's worship. So every day, come hungering more for more and more of God, more and more satisfaction. That's worship. Okay, so now go to the means part. What do I mean when I say that? It's a, a means to what end, right? And so we would say there's also this end of of. of of godliness. And so worship can be a means towards godliness. When, when we worship, we grow closer to Christ. So it goes hand in hand. It, it's both a means and an end. The more we worship, the more we become like him. And so this is why God says worship every day. Why, why living a life of worship is important than just coming one day a week to a service. Because it is a means. It is something that we do. It is something that takes work and intentionality. It is hard, and we must practice it at times to get better at it. You ever get to the end of the day and go, well, dang, I didn't even think about God all day. This day was lived for me. I I do. And I think, God, I'm so sorry. Help me tomorrow. I want to worship you in in what I still have a job, but I can worship you in that job. I can declare your worth in the way that I do it and, and, and my motives and my heart for which I'm doing those things. Am I doing it just to get money because I'm thinking money is the thing that satisfies? Or am I doing it because you satisfy? Right? And, and, and so that's in everything that we do. It's in every job, in every you know, task. You know, as a parent, was this as a parent, you know, did I parent for me or did I parent for you? So we start practicing. And I would say start with your lips daily. Give him praise. Read, read a psalm like Psalm 34, Psalm 46 out loud. Great ways to just, God, I want to praise you. I don't have the words. I'll use your truth. Because we're worshiping in truth. I, what you have already said about you, I will use those words to praise you with. I will worship you with my mouth. Or maybe it's when you get in your car, you blast turn up the volume and listen to something that leads you into praise. Let praise always be on our lips. And, and then we worship by loving and serving others. And so realize that every time you volunteer in the kitchen, that's an act of worship. Every time you are an usher, that's an act of worship. Anything you do around here, if you do it with your heart towards God, is an act of worship. The sound guys are worshiping right now as an act of worship by helping. So that we can all worship God together. Keeping the lights on is an act of worship. Shoveling the snow is an act of worship. So that we can all come in here. Loving your neighbor is a sacrifice of worship. So again, I ask the question. What is most valuable to you? What is the most worthwhile thing? Scripture teaches the highest end we could ever have is to worship God. That he should be the thing that we want more than anything else. I know for me, too often I'm in the category of those that that we see in in, in places like Romans chapter 1, where where they says they worship the creation over the creator. Because we're all worshiping something. Are we worshiping money? Are we worshiping worshiping relationships? Are we worshiping status, comfort, convenience? What are we worshiping? All of those are creations. Instead, we should be worshiping the creator. See, I can put the wrong thing at the top of my list if I'm not careful every day. It takes work, it takes discipline to ask God to help me. To ask the Holy Spirit to change my cold heart. I don't feel like it. 
He still wants us to worship when we don't feel like it. And, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to change our motives. So keep coming to church, even if you feel cold, and just say, God, help me through this. Change my heart. Remind me of what you have done. Help me to be grateful. And turn that into worship. Live a life of worship through the Holy Spirit, through the truth of Scripture. The highest, most satisfying goal we could pursue in our lives is worship. Worshiping Him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you take us as we are. I I have never been perfect a single day in my life. My motives have never been pure a single day in my life. Yet, your Holy Spirit works in me and in anyone who will ask. We could live a life of worship, that our hearts could be turned toward you. So no matter where we are today, again, if we feel as close to you as we ever have, if we feel cold, God, give us the courage to begin to pray for more and more through the work of your Holy Spirit, that we would want you more and more, that we would be like Christ more and more in lives lived for worship. Thank you, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.